Support for The Bittersweet Life comes from our listeners. This week, I want to thank Diane and Teresa. Thank you so much for jumping on Patreon to support the show. It really means the world to us. And you'll get some bonus episodes and thanks and a thank you note, handwritten by either me or Tiffany in the mail with a few other thank yous. This show continues because of the people who love it. Spread the word, tell your friends about it, write us a review, and if you can, donate to the show as well. You can donate on a monthly basis through patreon.com slash thebittersweetlifepodcast or make a one-time or recurring donation through PayPal at our website, thebittersweetlife.net. Anything you can do to help spread this show around and keep it going is so, so appreciated. Welcome to Rome. This is The Bittersweet Life with Katie Sewell and Tiffany Parks. Hello, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. And today we're going to talk about a topic based on an email that we received from Andrea. Uh, I did not ask Andrea if we could use this. So, hi, Andrea. (laughs) Thanks for sending in this email. (laughs) I hope you don't mind me sharing it. It's titled, the subject line is My Local Caravaggio. And she writes, Hi, Katie and Tiffany. I've never emailed a podcast like this, but after a year in which you kept me company through hard times, I feel like we could chat. I received your lovely card, Katie, and the stickers. That's because she uh, is a donor, so I sent her a thank you note. And you mentioned that you've never been to Ireland. And in case you need more incentive, did you know that the National Gallery here has a fabulous Caravaggio? I visited it today and it made me think of you both, and I wanted to see if you knew the fascinating story behind it. I've attached a link to an article, but it essentially starts with an amazing woman doctor in the 1920s whose husband was assassinated by Irish Republicans on political grounds. Grieving, she went to Edinburgh and bought a painting that took her fancy, and the article says she found that painting at an estate sale and then later donated it to the Jesuits in Dublin in gratitude for their spiritual support after her husband's murder. It hung on their wall for decades until I think the 90s when it was recognized and identified to be a lost Caravaggio titled The Taking of the Christ. She went on to become a nationally renowned pediatrician and Ireland lucked out by gaining a world-class painting which we can visit for free. But some serious twists and turns of fate there and I hope it will encourage you to come to Dublin someday. Love the podcast, Andrea. So, Tiffany, you have some familiarity with this Caravaggio story that she sent of the taking of the Christ. Yes. So I actually read a book about this. It's called The Lost Painting, The Quest for a Caravaggio Masterpiece by Jonathan Haar, H-A-R-R. It is, if I remember, it is a work of nonfiction, but written very, with a great, you know, sense of narrative. It's not dry or anything like that. And more than anything, it talks about when the painting was recognized as a Caravaggio. So I don't know that it gets into the backstory of how the painting got to Edinburgh, how it was bought by this woman doctor, how it then got transferred to Dublin. So I don't remember. It could have talked about that, but I haven't read it in a long time. But I recognize a little bit of the story just based on that book that I read. And I have seen the painting, although I have not been to Dublin. But I saw it in a very big 
Caravaggio exhibition in Rome in 2010 to mark the 400th anniversary of Caravaggio's death. Right. Well, according to the article that she sent us, they originally thought that it was by a 17th century Dutch artist named Gerard van Honthorst, an early 17th century Dutch artist, famous for his paintings in the style of Caravaggio. Well, yeah, there were a lot of artists who copied Caravaggio's style. So that's why it's so hard to recognize his paintings, because, you know, there's so many people copied him for like a 20 year period between about 1620 and 1640. Or 1610 and 1630, sorry. Yes, I remember. And what were they called again? The Caravaggeschi. That's right. That's right. I went to an entire exhibit with you, I believe, that was all works of art from... uh, I I can't remember if there were any real Caravaggios in there or not, or if they were all the painters who were after him, inspired by him. Yeah. Usually they'll be like, they'll call the exhibit in the time of Caravaggio. And the name Caravaggio <laughs> will draw people to the exhibit and then they'll get there. And it's like, it's all Simone Vouet and Orazio Gentileschi. And I mean, nothing against those two artists. They're both great, but, you know, it's not Caravaggio. Yeah. So <laughs> they do say that, sadly, uh, the female doctor who discovered this painting and gave it away in thanks died in 1971, two decades before it was discovered that it was a Caravaggio. So... She never knew. Ah, oh, that's a shame. You know, it's it's so interesting, I find, that a lot of people are like, why so many Caravaggio paintings? Like, why do so many Caravaggio paintings pop up? Like, oh, we discovered a new one. It's like, we're not discovering new Picassos every day. <laughs> we're not discovering new Van Gogh. The reason is because Caravaggio fell out of favor as an artist about 10, 20 years after his death, after the Caravaggesco period was over, he became delegated to the the trash heap of art history. Nobody cared about Caravaggio. He wasn't, his art wasn't appreciated anymore. That style just went completely out of fashion. And it didn't start to become appreciated, truly appreciated, on a wide scale until about the 1950s. Hmm. Um, but even before that, maybe around the 1920s, certain art historians and art critics started to sort of rediscover it. But on a wide scale, Caravaggio was not appreciated until about the 1950s. Why do you think that was? Like, Why did he fall out of favor? Well, you know, I'm not an art historian, so I don't know that I can give you a truly thoughtful answer on this. But I do know from just my own amateur study of art that Caravaggio is what I call a blip in art history. He's just so different, with the exception of the, the, the handful of artists who copied his style in the 10 years after his death. His style is so different from everything that came before and after. It doesn't seem to follow in the natural progression of art at his, you know, in his time. Like if you look at Renaissance art, you sort of like slowly see the development and one artist's work leads to the next and leads to the next, and you can really see the influence. Caravaggio doesn't seem to have been influenced by anyone. And like I said, with the exception of this handful of people, of artists, he didn't seem to influence anyone else. After the Caravaggeschi, people were either dead or their art just wasn't appreciated anymore either. It was like art went on without him, as if he hadn't even, I don't know, it's like I said, I'm not an art history, historian. If you're an art historian and I'm getting it totally wrong, please write in and tell us. But what comes after Caravaggio doesn't seem to have anything to do with him. You know, if you look at the art from like, particularly the 1700s, it couldn't be more different from 
what Caravaggio was doing. It couldn't be more idealized and you know, the colors are also so different. They're pale and pastel-y in the 1700s. His art was dark and browns and reds and, you know, and it was so realistic, whereas the, the art in, like, the mid-1600s through to the 1700s was so, you know, fanciful. That's the only thing I can think of, that it just didn't seem to be part of the natural progression of art. That's interesting. I wonder how much of that had to do also with his personality. We've talked about Caravaggio on this show, but... If you're new and know nothing about him, our show logo, those people are painted by Caravaggio. So that gives you a sense of the style. But, you know, he is kind of an antisocial character. You don't see him hanging around with a lot of other artists. Maybe he did all the time. I don't know. But Well, he, he was antisocial in the sense that he was supposedly, you know, for what we know, he was rude. He was crass. He was violent. He did have a circle of friends. Mostly they were these people who ended up becoming the Caravaggeschi painters, so Orazio Gentileschi and his daughter, eventually, Artemisia Gentileschi. There were, there were many others. But so, you know, he was definitely out rabble-rousing. You know, he was definitely walking around Piazza Navona. We know this because of the police reports. You know, he, he was arrested several times. He was usually with friends. You know, he was a bit of a hooligan, really. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't that he didn't have friends and didn't socialize. But he maybe didn't care what other people thought of him, and he spoke his mind, and he was definitely rude and most likely violent, from what we know. Yes, yes, a fine, <laughs> fine anti-hero for our show. It's a whole other, bigger question about <laughs> that bigger debate that happens on uh, whether or not you should uh, respect the art or the artist themselves. So well, I always joke that Caravaggio is probably like the writer Bukowski. Really interesting to read. Probably wouldn't want to hang out with him in a bar. You know? <laughs> I agree. Yeah. But the larger thing that we are wanting to talk about today is the discovery of this painting happens at an estate sale. Which got me thinking just about estate sales in general, which is some fairly common here in the United States. And I don't know that they're common or not in Italy, but I've always found them to be sort of an interesting thing because it's a little bit different than what you think of as the pop-up garage sale that also happens here a lot in the United States. Little tiny sales where you're just, you're cleaning out your garage and other people come and buy your stuff. But the estate sale is I find so much more interesting because generally speaking here in the United States, it is basically like the entire house is on sale. Not the house itself necessarily, but everything inside. And that can be as small as like the half used bottle of Clorox cleaner. Are you kidding me? They sell that? Yep. They'll sometimes will put a price tag on everything. Wow. That's in the house. And are these usually organized? Because I have no experience with estate sales. I don't think I've ever been to one. Are they usually organized by one of the descendants, one of the executors of the will? Or or is it like a company that comes in and does this? It's both. It's both. So, I mean, it just depends. Some families pay these companies to come handle it for them. And then the companies come in, sort of organize things. They put their price on it. You know, it's much more formal. And generally speaking, if it's the family who, who does it, it's just has this informal quality where they've already removed the stuff that they really want. They might not be selling cleaners and cans of beans. They might have already moved that stuff. 
But there is this sort of strange quality about an estate sale where you really are going through, you're picking over the life of a person in a way that I find so both saddening and interesting. You get this window into what a person is like without ever seeing the person or knowing who they are. I don't go to them all the time, but I have, because as a person, personally, as you know, having been in my home, I like old things. And I don't really love buying new things because, I mean, yes, the environmental cost, you know, I try not to have a lot of plasticky stuff around. And I really do kind of believe in this secondhand marketplace. Plus, I like things that are kind of older. I know antiques are kind of out of favor and are certainly out of favor in Italy. I have never been in a more ancient culture that wants everything inside to look like brand new. Well, (laughs) I mean, I think that that's a certain demographic that likes that. Having looked at so many apartments in moving there, every single one of them was advertising that it was like this sleek, modern interior. And really what I'm looking for is, you know, I want to live in your grandmother's turn of the century home. (laughs) Just leave it be and I'll be with all her antiques and stuff. I don't know. I just found that 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 was another interesting thing about living there was how much uh, modernism was valued when the city itself looks so ancient. Well, I think that's because there's so much of the old stuff, not just the ancient stuff, the ancient ruins, but like, I mean, I remember when I was looking for to rent the last apartment that I rented before buying this place, I remember the search for that apartment, which was the hardest apartment search I've ever had in my life. It was a nightmare. I think I looked at 80 apartments and so many of them were full of grandma's furniture. And I mean, I'm not talking about like, oh, look at this piece. Look at this really nice piece. Like, look at this, you know, little wooden writing desk. Isn't this lovely? It was like these huge sets. Cause like in Italy, like back in the day, like your living room would be a set and you would have your hutch, you know, where you'd have all your dishes and you'd have a sideboard and you'd have your table and your chairs and it would all be the same. Usually, I mean, it depends on the period, obviously, but what you usually see in Rome is like the 19, I guess, 40s. It's like extremely shiny mm-hmm. wood. Mm-hmm. It's highly glossed. <laughs> <laughs> it's, um, and it's like got a certain amount of curve to it. Yes. It's very curvy. Yes. <laughs> it's so overwhelming. Like the furniture is so big. You go into a typical old fashioned Roman apartment the table takes up the entire living room. Yes. It's so different. You could tell that back then there was this different priority. There was this priority on the family meal. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the table was the center of the living room, not like the couch, for example. And I think that people just are so sick of that because, like, every person our age grew up in a place that was decorated like that, and they don't want to see that anymore the heavy kitchen, the like wood heavy, you know, maybe there's not even built in shelves. Maybe it's like a big old fashioned mobile, you know, as they would call it here. They want something, yeah, I want something new and modern and, and sleek and easy to clean. Yes, yes. So when you were searching for that apartment, you ha- had to find the purest, the cleanest apartment you could find. The truth is, the reason we had such a hard time finding an apartment was because nine out of 10 of the places we looked at refused to let us get rid of any of the furniture in the place. There's one thing to be said for very high quality antique furniture that maybe isn't your taste, but at least is in good shape and nice. Then there's something else to be 
said for just garbage furniture that's like a armchair that's ratty and dirty and a cheap table with chipped paint. I mean, like that was the kind of stuff we were finding and they would not let us get rid of it. We're like, we'll furnish it ourselves. We don't need you to furnish it for us. We have our own furniture. They're like, no, 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 no. This stuff needs to stay here. That's why it was so hard for us because most of the places in in Rome, you either rent a place that's totally empty, not even any kitchen fixtures, and this is like a very long-term rental. People are going to put in built-in cabinets and put in this and that. Or you rent a place that's completely furnished and they won't let you get rid of anything. Right. Yes. And this is, of course, the big quandary that faces all expats who are coming for just a time. Ugh. Yeah. Because I can't even tell you, uh, I had that experience of how many apartments that we saw that were in a good location, but it was the same deal. It was just cluttered with furniture. It's not even that the furniture was so bad. It was just so packed. And then there was all sorts of weird things like there'd be a bowl of plastic fruit. Mm-hmm. There were all sorts of stuff like that where the apartments are small. What am I going to do with a bowl of plastic fruit that I can't get rid of? <laughs> yeah. And I feel like, and maybe it's an Italian thing, but I don't know because I feel like a lot of American homes are the same. Like more is more. The more stuff you got in there is like a positive thing. Whereas for me, and I'm by no sense a true minimalist, but I can't stand clutter and I can't stand stuff like a bowl of plastic fruit. Like if you have a piece that's meaningful to you, if you have an antique that maybe belonged to your family or, or maybe you found it at an antique store or an estate sale, or even if it's something new, but it's something that means something to you, it's something that you really love, then yeah, of course, keep that. But just to fill your home with knickknacks, I just can't. I mean, it's all, we're all just trying to make our own level of cozy. We're building the home that feels the coziest, don't you think? I don't know. I don't know that cozy is... um, Maybe not cozy, but comfort. Comfort, maybe. I don't think that cozy is something that everybody wants. I think that certain certain people like cozy, other people like sleek. True. But the sleek could be cozy. Uh, (laughs) I don't... I think cozy is, is something that appeals to some people, but not everybody. We're looking for whatever we find aesthetically pleasing. That's what it is. Yeah. That's it. So, but back to this idea of of the sale. I have a tendency to look for similar things at sales, you know, and now that I actually live in a house, maybe I'll have to start looking for furniture. Uh, Because it's always been sort of smaller things, you know, like jewelry and um, paintings or the most interesting story when I was thinking about us talking about this kind of thing. The most interesting story um, that came to mind was I was at an estate sale once, years and years ago now, where I found a necklace and it was kind of almost more of a choker it actually looks very roman ancient rome type way i don't know you i'll have to show it to you and you can tell me if that feels true uh but when i went up to the table to pay for it i handed it to the woman who was sitting there and she just let out this huge deep sigh and then she looks at me and she says my mother wore this necklace every day and she wore it long into her 90s and this woman was selling me this necklace for a dollar why would you and i said so i said oh uh well you can keep it you should keep it i'm like i really don't need it you should keep it if this was your mother's favorite thing yeah this is definitely something you should hold on to and she looked back down at it and considered it for a moment and then she just looks up at me and she goes no you should take it 
I really think that she would love the idea of another pretty girl wearing this. Aww. So I gave her a dollar and I still have the necklace, of course. Although, to be honest, I don't really wear it that often anymore. But I kind of have always felt like I should have given that woman my phone number. Don't you think? Because I can just see the sale ends, a month goes by, some time passes. And at some point she thinks, I really wish I'd kept that necklace. Uh-huh. Don't you think? Yeah, you should have. But I wouldn't have thought to do that. But uh, but you're right. But, you know, maybe she was okay with it. You know, not everybody... Not everybody feels the need to hold on to physical things. Mm-hmm. And like she said, you know, maybe the thought, maybe she knew she'd never wear it. Her daughter, if she has one, would never wear it. And if you would wear it, that would be a better life for it than sitting in a drawer and never being looked at and gathering dust. True, although I don't wear it very often anymore. Yes, but she didn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> and I was younger, so I wore it more then. Yeah, I don't know. It's interesting. And of course, that's the other thing about this estate sale. And sometimes, especially when you buy something from the family member themselves, is you have this back and forth about the person, which is memorable and like meaningful. You know, now I always think of this old woman wearing this. It's a very kind of um, bright gold necklace, shiny bright gold necklace that kind of looks like it's made out of leaves. And I just think about now, I picture this old, old woman wearing it every single day you know until the day she died and of course i love having that image in my head but it also makes it so can i get rid of this necklace now (laughs) (laughs) it's like it's like this one time i bought i can't remember if it was an estate sale or not but it was a little shelf that had six pockets and i think it used to have drawers in it but the drawers were missing so now I just use it as a display shelf that hangs on my wall. I think I've seen that in some of your pictures. Yeah, you've seen it. In fact, one of your wedding party favors sits on it ah. or has sat it on in the past. It's currently sitting on a different shelf now. Yeah, you, you got rid of it. Admit it, Katie. No, I can take a picture and send it to you. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm it's kidding. It's in my living room right now. I'll send you a picture as soon as we're done taping. <laughs> but the shelf, like part of the reason I bought it was because everybody who had ever owned it had signed the back of it for some reason. Hmm. And so I signed the back of it thinking, of course, that someday I would get rid of it too. And I still have it. <laughs> Now, 20 years later, I still own it. But I do think I love stuff like that where there's a shared... That's part of maybe why I like old things. There's a shared history of these objects. And whether you know it or not, sometimes you do know it. And I love when you know it. But I sometimes you don't. And it's just like a list of random names on the back of a shelf that people have passed along for years. Mm-hmm. I kind of love that stuff. Yeah, I, I love that too. I love that thought. I don't love it enough to go and collect old things though. <laughs> well, it's not like I'm just scraping stuff off people's front lawns. I, <laughs> I know. Here's the thing. I have a visceral reaction to clutter. In Rome, really estate sales, as far as I know, are not a thing. I don't see it advertised maybe it's going on and I just don't know about garage sales I've never seen a garage sale in Italy but what they do have is the mercatino Uh, first they they have flea markets that are not connected with any store and they're just flea markets that happen sometimes like for example the Porta Portese market in Rome every Sunday in Trastevere there are other flea markets around Italy and around the city But they have these shops called Mercatino, and it's actually a franchise. So there are like 20 of these shops or more around the city. And they're usually in the sort of outskirts of the city. And 
people bring in their stuff that they don't want anymore. Stuff that you really just want to get rid of, like your old stroller, or it, it might be, you know, a set of grandma's dishes, you know, or anywhere in between. They put a price on it, and then depending on when it sells, you get a certain amount of money. So, like, if it sits, I can't remember how it works because I've never sold anything there, but I have bought a couple of things there. The price gets cheaper and cheaper if it doesn't sell. And I think that the owner gets 50%, something like that, the seller. So I had this acquaintance, have this acquaintance. I would call her a friend, but I've only met her one time because we met shortly before the pandemic and we haven't had a chance to meet up again. But very lovely woman who lives here in Rome, American woman, I believe, yes. We decided that we would meet up because we knew each other on Instagram. And so she said, why don't you meet me at the Mercatino in uh, Porta Maggiore, it's just like the best one. And she's like, there's a cafe there, it's really nice. And I always, I'm always there, like I, I'm like there every day because she works with people, she, she helps people shop these antique shops and she can spot quality or rarity. So we met there and I can't remember if I was early or she was late, probably a little bit of both, but I was in this shop and I was milling around. And there is one thing that I wanted, I wanted to get a typewriter. I still want an antique typewriter. But anyway, I was just wandering around as I waited for her. And as I was there, I started to notice this growing sense of, I don't know, anxiety might be a strong word for it, but it was just unease. I didn't want to be there. And the more I was there, the more I wanted to get out of there. I finally texted her and I was like, can we meet somewhere else? I've got to get out of this place. (laughs) Uh, She, of course showed up like at that moment and didn't even see the message until later. But it's a physical feeling that I get. It's the same kind of thing that I get when I'm in a big crowd of people. It's different though. Yeah, I've been I've been to there. I've been to one of those Mercatinos. I mean, it is packed with stuff, you know, and it's taller than you. The shelves are taller than you and there's just so much stuff. And they, I feel like they often group it by color, which is interesting. <laughs> But I got to tell you, because we, of course, we have the equivalent of this thrift stores here in the United States. We have Goodwill and all that stuff. And I loved the Mercatino in Rome because it's just the things that are there are so unusual. Like, yes, a lot of it's total garbage. But the percentage of what's total garbage versus what's total garbage in our thrift stores over here where our stuff is a little bit more disposable, maybe. Uh Our culture is a little bit more disposable, so our things tend to be a little cheaper, tend not to last as long. Mm -hmm. That It was so much fun to actually be go to the thrift store in Rome. I'm just going to call it a thrift store because that's essentially what it is, (laughs) secondhand store. It was such a thrill to go because it's mixed amongst the knickknacks and little useless things are some pretty great paintings and some pretty awesome furniture. And occasionally a statue of some cupid or something you know it's just very odd and different compared to what you would be seeing over here and if i lived in rome and i was putting down roots in rome i mean there's some great furniture there really great interesting things i've never seen before that would make a house very artistic and eclectic well if you ever move here you have to look up my friend who will take you there and she will help you find what you want. Good. Okay. It's like her gift. It's her gift and she's brilliant at it. Well, that's sort of, you know, people often also have moving sales and estate sales when they're leaving town, you know, when they're out of here. And, and I was just thinking about that with you, you know, you've been in Rome now for almost 17 years, but really realistically, how long did it take you before you actually bought 
like put down any kind of roots like really bought a piece of furniture for me i i bought a few things when i was in rome but what i bought were little tiny things because i knew that if i i'm taking everything with me or i'm leaving it here whatever i buy nothing is permanent so how long did it take you to actually buy anything um it it probably took it was probably when i moved into the first apartment in which my name was actually on the lease and i had a spare room and i was renting out that spare room i wasn't renting someone else's spare room so the first almost 2 years that i lived in rome i was always renting someone's spare room or you know it wasn't even a flat share this person had an apartment a two bedroom apartment and they were renting me one of the rooms so you know you're renting this room and it's got a bed and a desk and maybe one little tiny bookshelf and a nightstand that's it and you know you try to make it your own and i i lived in probably three or four places like that in my first two years in rome and you know maybe i bought a plant maybe i bought a couple prints to put on the walls i had my books that i had shipped i shipped one box of books media mail mm-hmm. you know so i dragged those around with me I had a car full of stuff by the end of those two years, you know, from clothes, books, really, really small furniture. I wouldn't even call it furniture. Finally, I, something happened. I was like, I can't live like this anymore. The last place I lived, lived with a wonderful girl, but it was just, the apartment was not okay. There were major problems and, and I couldn't live there anymore. And so I was like, you know what? I don't want to live in somebody else's spare room anymore. I want to have my own place and I will rent out the spare room. I found what still remains today one of the best apartments I've ever lived in, which I don't think you saw because you were not living in Rome at that time, but it was on Via Garibaldi, beautiful place. It's the place where I painted the wall bright pink in my bedroom. And I bought a bed. Wow. A king-size bed. Thank you very much. You know, I'm almost 30 here. I don't need to sleep in a single bed anymore. I bought IKEA furniture. I bought a, a wardrobe and a, a chest of drawers. I rented a piano. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I bought a couch for the living room. The kitchen was there and the kitchen table. But I bought a lot of stuff. And that was really the first place that I put down, I would say, medium roots. Not full roots, but medium roots. Yeah. If you had bought the piano... Then it would have been that would have been serious, serious roots. I own my piano now. <laughs> I own a piano, but um, but that's different. Now I own an apartment. So. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, really, one of the most committal things you can ever do really is buy a piano. I feel <laughs> yeah because they are just so impossible to move around. Well, you have to you have to pay to move it. You have to hire a, a piano moving company. I know. And why would you have to rent a room out? Can you, is it unaffordable to have a place that was just like one bedroom or a studio or something like that? Yeah, I mean, yeah, it was, you could find a studio, but the studios were usually on the ground floor, usually converted from like a shop. Mm. One room that they've turned into an apartment that has no windows because it just, it was meant as a shop. There's hardly any windows in it. It's on the ground floor. There's people walking by. Like the studio apartments are generally pretty uncomfortable in Italy. One bedrooms were just a little bit expensive. And when you add in all of the expenses, you know, it just gets a little bit expensive. It gets a little bit pricey. So, you know, if you have a two bedroom apartment, you really have a lot more space and I liked living with people. I enjoyed it, especially when you're an expat, you know, it's easy to get lonely and having a, a roommate is, is a great way to have company. So I liked it for the most part. It's not to say that when Claudia and I moved in together shortly before we got married, I wasn't thrilled to not have to 
always be looking for a roommate if, you know, the roommate moved out or whatever. Well, I do think when you get a chance, you're about to take a trip to the United States. If you get a chance, pop your head into an estate sale. If you happen to see a sign for one, of course, not all estate sales are created equal, but they are very interesting. And you never know, maybe you'll discover the next hidden Caravaggio. (laughs) Maybe it's somewhere in rural Wyoming right now. Hey, they found a Michelangelo painting in Buffalo, New York, behind somebody's couch in Buffalo, New York. See? About 10, 15 years ago. There you go. That's what I'm saying. And we all go to estate sales with that hope that there'll be like some great thing that we'll just happen to know is a great thing and nobody else will have noticed. And they'll give it to us for a dollar. My mom bought a painting. Maybe it was a garage sale. I'm not sure. Maybe it was just a thrift store. But it was this small painting of a very young woman in Elizabethan costume. And it looked like a portrait. And she has red hair. I remember saying... Mom, maybe it's a portrait of Queen Elizabeth as a young girl. Can you imagine? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, of course it wasn't, but um, but we used to say that it was. <laughs> that would be great. That reminded me of this one time I went to a, it was a garage sale, but this woman had this beautiful landscape painting of a beach, hand-painted by somebody. And I really wanted it, but I was also so broke. So I went up to her and I said, Hey, uh, how much for the, the painting of the beach? And she said, oh, 50. And I said, oh, 50? Would you take 20 for it? And she laughed and she said, no, 50 cents. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, really? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'll take it. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And where is that painting now? Uh, it's actually at a, a ex-boyfriend's house right now. Oh. Okay. Uh, because I didn't actually have any money on me. He was the one that had the 50 cents in his pocket. So, so you let him keep it. I let him keep it. <laughs> yeah. uh, but I have, I do have other hand done paintings that I absolutely love that I have found on the side of the road. Wow. I know. One of them I really dearly love and it was just sitting next to a trash can. Ugh. So you just never know what you'll find out in the world. You never know. Well, we should leave it there. Thank you, uh, Andrea, for sending that. And yes, that does give me an incentive to come to Dublin, Ireland, if I didn't have one already. So yes, thank you for inspiring that future trip. And until next time, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. One quick last thing before you actually run off. Don't assume that people know about this show. If you've got friends, family who are looking for podcasts, if you're in a book group or you go to church where you have a big group of friends that's getting together now that the pandemic restrictions have eased a bit, mention the show. Word of mouth is the best way to get this show into the ears of other people, and we would love your help getting it there. Just mention it to a friend. You can even grab their phone and subscribe them to it. Another way you can help is by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts. Whatever you do, don't keep this show a secret. Write about it. Tell people about it. Spread the word whenever you get the chance. Thank you so much. Join us again. Bye.